0: Units responding to the 1071. We are getting multiple RPs. Shooter is still inside. This is an active shooter.
1: Hello. Welcome Hello. back. Hello. Episode seven, Brandon, of the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast. I am Mike Morazzo. You are Brandon Silvera, and we have no guests today.
0: Yeah, nobody wanted to come on. (laughs) (laughs) No one wanted to come on.
1: We told them what the topic
0: would be, and they said no. Right.
1: So, for our listeners, today's topic will be law enforcement only. I mean, more people can listen if you're not law enforcement, but we are. It's applicable. It's applicable. We are not doing a split show with law enforcement. And woodworking, we are doing just law enforcement only because of the recent mass shooting, which you responded to.
0: I did, I was there.
1: Yes, so I, the genius of me being 55, did not print out my rundown. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, uh, Mike, me being the uh, can, Consummate oh, professional.
1: Yes, of course. I
0: have it right here, and uh, you are supposed to give a recap of your week uh, before well, we get into I, it. I knew I was going to do that.
1: <laughs> um, I'm opening my my phone app where I write my notes after calls because I've found that this is the best way for me to remember what the hell I'm doing. Ah, and then I started doing this, you know. And then your thing happened. I thought. F am I going to be talking about that's anywhere close. <laughs> oh, let's see. Shit, shit bag apartment, which I've mentioned before. We went back there for a battery. Of course, no one wants to sign anything. Uh, oh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, then I got a call of a woman who wanted to make a report because some Facebook person used her son's image in a post. And I'm like...
0: Was he in a public place?
1: Yeah, they got the picture off the internet.
0: Yeah, you have no expectation of privacy.
1: That's what I told her. She's like, well, this person and uh, they're... And I said, listen, man, block them. Tell Facebook. uh, This is not a police matter. We don't do Facebook policing. We just do regular policing. So I had that.
0: We do real policing.
1: Right. Well, you've done some real policing this week. (laughs) Uh, my real policing this week also included we have a DUI detail for the grants that go on for Memorial Day weekend, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. So our state pays grant money to departments to post overtime strictly for traffic details. So there's a seatbelt detail from like three to nine, and then there's a DUI detail from nine to four or five in the morning. So I have some friends that, and there's something about this I don't understand. So maybe you can help me out because okay. I keep getting yelled at by everybody. <laughs> okay. So you're on the detail, right? For DUIs.
0: For DUIs. Right.
1: Your job is to pull over cars, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes there's other things going on that aren't DUIs, but then you have to arrest these people, Right. Yeah, Okay. That's so
0: one of those you catch it, you clean it sort of deals? Well,
1: no, not here. So for instance, <laughs> I have one buddy who works these details all the time. He works like 90 days a week. I don't know what the hell, when he sleeps. He pulls over a car last month. Someone's hanging out the passenger side window, literally. So maybe a DUI,
0: right? That's usually a pretty good indicator. Right. Somebody in that car is drunk.
1: Right. So he pulls the car over to investigate a possible DUI. My friend was with me, backing me up on a call, and he said, I'm going to go back up him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm fine here. Just go over there. So he drives over to this other officer. Other officer ends up getting in a fight with this passenger that was Probably in the Probably because they're drunk. So they get in a fist fight. And then there's a battery. And then that person gets hurt somehow. I and then the person has to go to the <laughs> hospital
0: before and, you go to jail.
1: And then they look at the sergeant goes over there and looks at my buddy who was backing me up that went to go back him up and goes, go to the hospital, take their statement, write the report. And I'm like, so he disappears to the hospital. And I'm like, <laughs> what the f- is going on? I'm calling him. Where are, far are you? And I'm at the hospital. Why are you at the hospital? Oh, the sergeant told me to come. You didn't pull anybody over or see anything. Yeah, but the other car's on the DUI (laughs) detail. I go, get the F out of here. How is that even fair? (laughs) So again, this week, same guy doing a detail. This one night, he's driving down the street, sees a fight. So he pulls over. Two drunk people fighting. Who cares? Yeah. He pulls over. Guy starts getting lippy. One guy takes off. Call a zone car. I'm like, what? So I get sent (laughs) over there. And I'm like, what? These two are fighting. Okay, where's where's the other guy? Oh, he left. What do you want me to do? Sounds
0: like a mutual combat and nobody wants to be the victim of a battery. That's
1: exactly what it was. Well, this guy needs to ride home. And? Call him a cab. Guess who's got to take him home?
0: You guys don't call people cabs or well, help th- or assist them in using their Uber application.
1: He lived in town. So I put this drunk F, I'm trying really hard to make two shows <laughs> in a row without swearing, by the way.
0: <laughs> I can see you physically trying.
1: Yeah. So I put this drunk F guy in my car and he's like, Do you know who my aunt is? Oh, I'm not going to. Drop any names, but my aunt, so and so, and I go, Yeah, she's the secretary of the police and fire commission. She runs the police department. I go, Listen, I don't (laughs) care. I love your aunt because I do. She's a fantastic woman. I've known her for a very long time. I go, But if you needed to be arrested, your aunt's name ain't doing shit for you. So he's, (laughs) You should have just
0: called her right then and there. He goes, Oh,
1: call her right now. I go, It's two in the morning. We're not waking up your aunt. (laughs) You know? So I had that moron. And then oh yeah, then we get the call for um people swimming. We have a public pool. It's a pretty big okay. pool park. Of course, someone jumped the ten foot fence and went in the pool at like yeah. two in the morning. So we showed up and uh there were two guys or one guy stuck on the gate. He's stuck up there. He's like, Help me down and my buddy's like, um, no, you got in there yourself. <laughs> You get down yourself. Figure it out, smart guy. He starts MFing my buddy. He's a guy who's trespassing. He's usually, right. usually not smart. Right. The other two were yes, sir. No, sir. Here's my name, sir. I didn't mean to. We didn't break anything. I didn't mean to do anything. We're very sorry. Yeah. And this guy is mouthing off. So we couldn't just book him without booking the other two, who were just being good people. They yeah. went in for a late swim. They didn't hurt anybody. They were trespassing, yes, but like we've talked about before, right? We've got other th- more important things yeah. going on.
0: Is this really worth right. it's the not. time and effort?
1: But the other guy was making it, he almost buried his buddies. So we had that, and then we had some woman who was in town from Dallas, and she was in town for a bridesmaid bridesmaid's party, if I said that right, and she took a, rideshare service, can't say which one, from way far on the Ritchie Northwest side down to where we are, because O'Hare Airport's by us. Okay. So she's got a summer dress on, you know, she's hammered, and it's middle of the day. She gets in this rideshare, and the guy apparently, like someone who barely speaks English, puts his hand on her leg, like reaches back behind him, Mm -hmm. puts his hand on her leg, and... She's like, "What's what's he doing?" And then he's like, "Oh, it's okay, you know." So he drives her to the hotel, and then apparently at some point pulls his pants down and takes his dick out, and then grabs her hand and puts it on there. And she's like, Oh, "That's he- a bold move." "Oh hell no!" Yeah. Right? So she jumps out of the car and she's like, "I'm calling the police." He's like, "Oh no, don't call the police, you know." So, "No, dear God, no!" Right? So she gets to her room. Now, this particular rideshare, why would they want to, you know, give you information on what the driver's name is, what kind of car he's driving, or license plate information? Yeah, no need like for can... any of that after yeah, you get in the like, car.
0: Yeah. Sounds like they're going to tell you to go ahead and uh, go jump through about eight different hoops to
1: yeah so, get that info. And she's flying back to Texas the very next morning. But she was a, an emotional wreck. So
0: yeah, so she gets no justice. And
1: correct. And as a personal uh, public service announcement, and without being funny, I which I'm not a lot of times, I actually just wanted to tell people, especially females, you know, please be very careful and cognizant of even a rideshare. Um, take a picture of the car as it's pulling up. Take a picture of the license plate. Take a picture of the driver. Uh, do all of that stuff, especially for this one driving app that apparently doesn't allow you to have any of that information after you get out of the car. So we told her to contact that rideshare platform and file a complaint. But in all reality...
0: She could probably bring some sort of civil suit against them. Yes. But yeah, that's a great point. Take pictures of that stuff, send it to somebody immediately. Right. Never sit front seat.
1: No, and she wasn't. She was in the back
0: seat. Yeah. Yeah. Sit. My suggestion would be sit back seat directly behind the driver. Right. And have something solid in your hand that if As you need to, you can use it to hit them in the head. Right. Or the junk. That's a weak spot in men. Yes. And then run. Right. And scream and make noise and draw attention to yourself. And that is the best way. To get out of that kind of situation.
1: Right. So we had that. And then we had, you know, a guy having a seizure who I think he was on some kind of drugs. He didn't know where he was. And then another another domestic battery. And then we I put down handy capable tow truck driver <laughs> because
0: tow truck drivers are amazing, man.
1: Sunday morning, we had a, a really bad crash at one of our major intersections. And Everyone was okay, but both cars were completely totaled. So our normal tow truck driver, who's a hero to most of us, um, he was off. So they have uh, these other two fine gentlemen. I'm sure they're very nice. One of them looks like he just escaped a mental institution. I, I said to my buddy, would you just look at this guy? He, he looks really scary. The other guy who's driving the tow truck, do you know those arm walker, like canes that they, yeah, got, yeah. they got a brace around your forearm. And he, you use it kind of right. like
0: as your leg. Yeah, he's got almost. two.
1: He's driving the tow truck. He gets he gets out of the tow truck with those two, one on each arm. That's he, impressive. He's working his way back to the car. Then he has to take his cane, let's say. And try yeah, I think and, that's what
0: they are. I think they're just canes. Okay, a cane and, or a crutch kind of thing. Crutch,
1: right? Try and push the wheel grabber on mm-hmm. the driver's side. He also weighs like 500 pounds. I don't know, but he's overweight, you know, um, unfortunately, and it doesn't help him with his condition. But holy shit, I've got lanes of traffic <laughs> blocked for like it's. It happens at the end of the shift and. My buddy who was supposed to stay behind and block traffic, he takes off. And I'm like... He's got to go home, man. This isn't even my zone. The city's trapped for cash. They can't afford to pay him overtime. If they're going to pay someone, (laughs) it should have been him. Not me. So I'm sitting behind this guy. I'm thinking, oh, my God. And then a semi-truck's trying to go by in the inside lane, and he can't make it because this guy is sticking... anyway. I just need to go right there. Just right over there. Right. So... That's my week in a nutshell. Besides, I did mention to you in our pre-show about um it is mental health awareness month and I've been a, a wreck for various reasons. I don't know, but hopefully that'll pass when what's the next month coming up? June? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll be June. <laughs> so hopefully uh that'll pass. But uh and a good note, my baby daughter just turned twenty five. Oh, happy birthday to yesterday. her. So thank you. That that was a good bit of news. Now that I've got all the good news out of the way, let's get to you. <laughs> hold, on, okay. hold on. Hold on. Oh, okay. Okay. You're the top of the news this week, buddy.
0: Dateline San Jose.
1: San Jose. Hello.
0: So okay. before, before I get into what happened the morning of May 26th, I'm going to take you through kind of a timeline and I thought it was interesting. Just my own, it's my own personal timeline from our last show to basically now. So we recorded the last show on uh Thursday, Thursday night. The next morning I had, uh, well, at least out in California, we call it uh, continual police training or CPT. Okay. It's basically uh perishable skills. So, and it goes in cycles. So, like, sometimes you'll do like shoot, don't shoot scenarios. You'll do uh, emergency vehicle ops. You'll do um, all this other stuff that, you know, you, that you legal update training, all this stuff. Okay. So, this cycle was defensive tactics. So, uh, real basic um, kind of jujitsu concepts. Okay. Because we have um, an amazing. Uh, Jitsu, I guess, artist is what you would call them. Uh, who's also an officer, so he's like an umpteenth degree black belt in it, world world renowned kind of deal. Cool. And he's ours, so so we did that. We did some uh, de escalation and uh, what to call people training. Um, oh, you had that? I, someone just asked yeah, me about
1: that at the party I was at tonight.
0: Yeah, so we had to go through um, and I I'm not making light of it. I just literally forget some of the letters and stuff, but the LGBT LGBTQ and then they added a plus cuz I guess they like there it was getting to be too many letters. Okay. Um so kind of like, hey, this is what all these different things mean. Um, I learned that it is cuz I'm a curious person. Okay. So I like, I, I will ask questions about things I don't understand and I don't understand that world cause I don't live in it, but I learned that it is apparently very, very, very rude to ask somebody where they are at in their transition. If you encounter somebody like that now, thankfully I've never done that, but I didn't even think about that. Cause like I'm thinking me, the curious guy, I'm going to be like, wow, you, I mean, where are you at in that? Like, did you go in full tilt on everything or is it more of just a external appearance? Because you know. Curious, we not deal, meaning any disrespect.
1: Well, we deal with them all the time. Yeah,
0: I mean, we do too. We're, I mean, so it, it seems to be that like them. kind of the, the Bay Area. Well, They've yeah, never been I mad mean,
1: at me. Well, because I guess if respect. you're
0: talking to to somebody that's, say, like, um, trans, like male to female or female to male, if you're like, hey, so where are you at in that? Like, are you going full female and, and turning outies into innies and stuff right. like that? Or, like I, and I, I in hindsight, I yeah, that would be pretty rude. I would probably get irritated if somebody asked me that in that position. Um, but then we finished the day with active shooter training.
1: You actually finished with active shooter training.
0: That's how we ended the day
1: with um, doing actual walkthroughs scenarios.
0: Yes. So we did all man uh, basically live, not live fire, but uh, sub-munition fire. Right. Okay. So we have a shoot house and. Um, one of the things we talked about was the parkland shooting in florida and the school resource officers um i don't want to say failure because in the aftermath what we're learning is he was following their training protocol that came about after columbine where you wait for a pod of four and you go in diamond formation
1: formation, right
0: so in all actuality he's following their training Uh, but our our training unit did an absolutely phenomenal job of putting together um, an animation that showed as officers were arriving where they were going and guys were taking up traffic control points um, instead of going in and we talked about it and they they posed the question um, to me being like one of the most junior people in that training class for the day so why, why are we here? Why are we doing this? And, I, you know, my answer was pretty simple and didn't realize how accurate I was when I said it's, it's a, because it's a matter of time. It's not if, it's when.
1: Right. We, we train with the diamond, or even if we have five, right? You got the guy in the middle. Yeah. But we specify if this scenario is actually happening, and you're the first person on the scene, now we go in alone.
0: Yeah, so um, our training unit had rolled out something a couple years ago where we do something called, um, we have basically two designations. You have your contact team and their sole job. You're the first ones there. Your sole job is to go in, find the threat, stop the threat. shooting get the killing to stop right and the second part of that is once the threat has been neutralized then we have we initiate what we have what we call a rescue task force which is four firefighters four cops cops are security for the firefighters we escort in they treat the wounded we do casualty collection extrication if we have to and go from there.
1: Right, those responding uh, firefighters and stuff, do they have ballistic gear on, helmet, ballistic helmets Yeah, we, vests and stuff? We,
0: we call them a uh, like a UN kind of uniform because their vests are right. pl- like the UN blue and all that. Yeah. But they actually have a really nice helmet. Right. Uh, but they have all kinds of tools uh, that they bring in with them. So that's how my Friday finished. Went about my weekend, came back to work Sunday night, was having a good week. Wednesday morning rolls around, and so we usually will head back to the PD from, cause we have one centralized spot. We don't have substations that we all deploy out of. We have one hub in the heart of the city. Everyone goes there at the beginning of the shift. Everyone goes there at the end of the shift. So we usually will head back around anywhere between like 615-ish to like 620, because that way you could get the car back for day shift cause midnights and day shifts share a car so and you're typically allowed to log out of the computer at 6 30 a.m so you can get upstairs you can get changed turn in any kind of reports apparently people are already celebrating the fourth of july in my town and um that way you're out of there at 7 a.m when you go off duty and the city doesn't have to pay you overtime because if i'm doing anything for the city past seven o'clock i'm getting paid yes so Uh, 6.30 rolls around, drop my car off, log out of the computer, take my uh, beanbag shotgun and my uh, infield breathalyzer back to our supply guys, hand it in, and I'm reaching down to turn off my radio, and major events will get broadcast on every channel in the city. And I hear, hey, channel one's working, a uh, a 1071, a person shot at the VTA rail yard, uh, RP reporting party. Uh, stating an employee has shot eight people and is still in the building. Units responding on channel one. So here's kind of the thing that, at least here, how we typically go in our head. Okay, we have a single reporting party. Yeah, it's serious, but it's not like...
1: They hadn't received a secondary call yet? Not yet. Okay.
0: So the initial thought, if you're not one of the first people dispatched, is like, I'm willing to bet this is a crazy... Because eight people shot is a lot before you get a call. I would, I, and we were kind of talking about it in small groups afterwards of like, I would think that, you know, after the second one, we'd probably get an actual caller. But, And the more we learned about the situation after the fact, there was no time for anybody to call. So, so you get that. I switch over to channel one because, you know, that's something you're going to listen to in case it's real.
1: How many guys on the and, street do you have at that moment?
0: At that moment, it's people are coming and going, so people are getting checked into the car, people are getting checked out of the car. But we had both day shift and midnights physically there. It was just a matter of getting people technically logged in or punched in on a time clock. Okay. So I turn over just to listen to it, just to see if it's real, and I'm not kidding at all. This like you couldn't have planned it better if this was a movie or a TV show or something. Click over to channel one, and the first thing I hear once it sinks in is units responding to the 1071. We are getting multiple RPs. Shooter is still inside. This is an active shooter.
1: RPs being... And
0: reporting reports. parties. And I'm, right. like, right now, even recalling it, I'm right. getting goosebumps. Um, I was walking. It physically stopped me. My eyes basically bugged out of my head a lot of times with a buddy of mine who's a actually a, a field training officer and he looks at me and he goes holy shit I go yeah I go let's go and he, go, he looks at me and looks back he goes what do I do with my recruit
1: you <laughs> so, leave him
0: so I, I apologize in advance because I'm going to give you the direct quote I said right and it involves the f-word okay. um, I said fuck tell him to go right we're going i don't need you babysitting him we have work to do so he and i jumped in our car or jumped in a car we just grabbed a random car and sped off the half mile it is from the pd parking lot to the vta the valley transit authority rail yard
1: when you got in that car Uh, did you have your rifle with you? Were you had you taken your rifle out of your squad? And-
0: so, here, here's kind of my routine because I have a city issued shotgun and a city issued rifle. My rifle I typically take home with me, so it was in my personal car. Okay, you had and put I had it. No in to- at- I had, yeah, I had okay. no time to go back and get it. My city issued shotgun I had with me, um, but having knowledge of just how big that rail yard is, I knew it was big. I didn't realize how big but I knew it was big. Um, I knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable for the amount of time that we were going to probably be up on gun. Right. So I went in with pistol. My buddy still had his rifle. Okay. And it's, it's actually changed the way I do things now. Now I bring the shotgun home. That way I have my rifle with me the entire time. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had already logged out. I'm technically off duty. Sure. Uh, so he's, he's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm on the phone with our communication center saying, and this is when it got real, real. this, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, because I said some things that I never thought I'd say, and I did some things I never thought I'd have to do. I, I, I called in and they're usually, usually our dispatchers are like calm, cool, collected, nothing gets to them. Call in and I could already hear the stress in her voice of, she answers up. I go, Hey, give badge, my badge number, my partner's badge number. Hey, log us back in seven two Lincoln three. Show us nine, seven on scene at the active shooter. We're going in. And this is kind of usually the part where I like, I've told this story twice, uh, once to my wife and then a watered down version of my kids. This is the part where I kind of get choked up. Um, because I I heard the fear in her voice. She just got it. Be safe. Never had a dispatcher tell me that before. Um,
1: Do they hold the air for you guys? Yeah. Okay.
0: Once once the first team's landed, it was. It, it unless you are one of the first two contact teams that had already, that were already on site. Shut up.
1: Right. No radio traffic.
0: Yeah. So we pull off, because there were already people that had gotten there before us. Um, I think we had two contact teams of almost like 10 that were already actively looking, because from when we landed, shots were still being fired. Where we parked was probably about, if it's a half mile from the PD, we were probably about a quarter mile out. And I had this quick little moment of clarity of like, wow, uh, my wife's about to wake up, and this is gonna hit the news and those are gonna be the updates she's gonna get and she's not gonna like she's not gonna be able to get hold of me, so I sent a four word text active shooter going in which in hindsight i like I kind of feel bad it about it, but at the same seven, time
1: it should have been a seven word text
0: there wasn't enough time for that i know that i there truly wasn't because by the time I barely got those four out. And then as I was getting ready to type the last three words, I heard my buddy send the charging handle on his rifle home, hit send, and it was a quarter mile sprint. And we linked up with uh, one of our special ops guys that's on the uh, city SWAT team, two other patrol officers, and a CHP sergeant. We all locked eyes and said, okay, we're a contact team. We're going to that building. And... We didn't know at the time, that's the building the shooter had gone to because he had started in one building, uh, shot a bunch of people, traversed to a secondary building, went up to the second floor where he was continuing to shoot. So from everything I've heard on the radio, everything that I've read in the media leads me to believe that when we made entry, the other two contact teams had him cornered. And that is when he took his life. So we make entry into our building and we start clearing and we just start working the problem. Like we've been training together for years and years and years. Find some guy that was completely oblivious to what was going on. Uh, got him out of the building. As we're coming to the end of one, we see uh more people kind of like poking their heads out because they hear police shouting and sirens. So someone poked their head out. We get an additional like seven or eight people out, guide them in which way to go. And it's basically spent the rest of the hour and 45 minutes that we were on target, clearing buildings, clearing cars, dumpsters, and then uh, going back to the command post to to see if we were going to be redeployed, interviewed, or cut loose.
1: And um, after they found him, you were still clearing.
0: Yeah, they so hadn't we still found had him yet. So they had found him. Okay, uh, he had already shot sorry. himself. They were they were already working on actually getting him out of the building um, to try and keep him alive, so that he could be prosecuted. But we didn't know for sure if he was a single shooter or if there were secondary threats. So we had still jobs to do, but we were able to at least slow it down a little bit. So, uh, after the fact, we learned that roughly around the same time that he began his shooting, his house went up in flames. What we're learning now, and it's been released in the media. And if you want to read through the the hundreds of news articles, um, is that he did this and an effort, and this is what we believe, to draw away resources that would have gone to his shooting to right. allow him to accomplish what he was wanting to accomplish. Inside of his house, they found numerous firearms, approximately 25,000 rounds of ammunition, Molotov cocktails, and cans of gas in every single room of his house. So as his house went up, those rounds would have started detonating that would have drawn even more resources in. So I, what I think happened, and this is just my own theory or thoughts towards it is that he mistimed his fire or he mistimed the rate of burn because I think what his, what he was probably going for it. Like if, if I were to take his plan and perfect it in my own way, like if I put myself in his shoes would be, I would want those rounds going off as firefighters are landing there before my attack starts, because then you got resources flowing one direction while you're doing what right. you're doing. Uh, so I think I left work that morning at about, I walked out of there about 10, 10 AM. So about three hours after when I would normally be off. Yeah. I got home by the time the adrenaline actually wore off. I think it was about one in the afternoon. I slept for a couple hours, went and ran two Little League practices, and then went straight back to work where I basically was, well, not basically, I was providing security for uh, security on his house uh, all night because it turns out his house is in the district at work.
1: How crazy is that?
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So did that, and it was kind of funny because they were telling us like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't think there's anything in the house that'll uh, detonate on its own."
1: Oh, gee, thanks. So I,
0: yeah, so I, so I looked at the uh, <laughs> I looked at the sergeant. And I go, "So you're telling me it's going to be a skunk or a squirrel that gets me killed?" Was, yeah, just maybe park a little bit further down that way. <laughs> maybe not directly behind the house. Uh, that's because like ATF, FBI, our bomb squad, they. They had rendered most things safe, but they hadn't finished their final sweep. Right. So they were going to come back in the morning and finish doing that, which if you're going to work around explosives, you should probably be well-rested. So I, I have like no problem with that. It was just one of the, the way it was presented to me, was kind of like, oh, really? It's not going to detonate on its own, so.
1: They would know. Uh, They're the experts. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: I trust them. I was trained by one of them, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, as my radio partner, since we're not like car partners or job partners, but you are my partner. Yeah. Just want to say I've had a, I said a prayer for you as soon as I heard, I was very worried about you. Um, not, I didn't know what was going on that you were there when it was going on, but when I found out, I was very, very worried about your recovery. Emotionally, you know, from this event, so.
0: I I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll I'll get into it. So the reason, so I think, what was it Thursday or Friday? I sent you a text saying, Hey, um, like, look, I'm still processing all this, but I want to talk about it right? because our, our audience is primarily law enforcement and I mean, up, up until Wednesday morning, I didn't know anybody that had actually responded to an active shooter. So yeah. Right. if I can provide any kind of insight as to what is going to actually happen to you personally, um, when you hear those two words come out over a radio channel and you know, you're going, um, if it helps one person be better prepared for it, then I'm happy because I didn't expect to stop cold in my tracks. Right. I didn't expect, I expected to be a little bit scared. So I was scared from the moment I got in the car to the moment I got out of the car. Hell yeah. The, the second I hit send on the text message and started running, I was calm. It was weird. Well, it, It's a uh, train. i was kicks my wife about in, right? it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I've, between the military and law enforcement, I've done either active shooter or some sort of tactical training for the last 10 years. So that's one thing I was telling her is I was, it was weird how calm I was. You were. And like, there were no thoughts of, you know, am I going to see my wife and kids again? Am I going to see my dog again? It was just, okay, this is what I need to do. This is my threat. I am responsible for this area. I don't hear any gunfire. Let's slow it down. Clear the whole area and move on.
1: Yeah. So you went in with, you said the five guys? Or you did the four? Yeah. five plus five. me. Okay. So since when we do this training, and either you're front guard, rear guard, right guard, left guard, whatever. Yeah. And you know how we are trained to specifically focus on your area, right? I don't give a shit yeah. what you're doing back there, because I need to focus on what's down there. Yeah. So since you were just doing that, not in a drill. Yeah. How did it go? Because you were also with some members of departments that aren't your guys.
0: Yeah. So we had one CHP sergeant. Uh, we basically put him as rear security because the rest of us, the because the you weren't going to be doing us... any
1: traffic stops.
0: Yeah. Okay. We, I didn't I need any CHP. tickets. <laughs> I didn't need tickets written. I didn't need right. any kind of no DUIs. Ac- accident investigation, right. DUIs. No. Right. But he had a rifle so he could point it behind us and make sure nobody came up behind us. Right. Um, but the rest of us, I mean, I, I've I've worked with three of the four other people, like here and there, ones and twos, like okay, like being moved around the city. And the other guy, I'd never met him.
1: Uh see that's <laughs> from your this, department. Yeah. So he's See that's he's, what's crazy about your department. And I, <laughs> I know every single per obviously way different yeah. scenario, but I know everybody on my department and the guys on every department around me on the shifts that I work, because yeah. we've been working together for so long. So yeah, I may know maybe, you know, maybe sixty guys. You yeah. have like eleven 1, hundred yeah. officers in your police department. Yeah, so I can see so, this being a, an issue.
0: Yeah, so I I just saw him. He had the right patch on. He had <laughs> the un- he, he had the unit. He patch didn't have that mall said,
1: security on his arm. Yeah, he said he yeah, had the okay,
0: and he had the unit patch for the the city SWAT team. And I was like, all right, I'll I'll hitch my wagon to this guy. Good call. And uh, by the yeah. way, yeah. So, uh, and it was it was so weird. Uh, Well, not weird. It was really cool that, I mean, we filled and flowed. Like I I think, like I said earlier, like we had been doing it together for years.
1: See, if you're all the training is the same, you know, um, department wide or even multi-agency wide. And that's why when we do our rapid deployment, we do it with like four or five other agencies. If it's all uniformed, you can plug in. Officer A from Team B, and you know what I mean? And all just go. So that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about was compared to the training that we do and you've done, how it sounds like it went off, obviously went off without a hitch. But when I just asked you how disciplined each guy was to each task given, sounds like it went pretty well
0: yeah and, and so the way that we practice it we have a little shoot house well it's set up like a residential house this was a this was warehouse this right. was a train maintenance building, building this yeah. I mean it was a from a tactical standpoint it was an absolute nightmare and i mean like it was weird there was like a line in the sand where you went from a very static very normal world and you cross that line and you cross into a hell that is dynamic and full of threats. And the switch that flipped when every single person crossed that line was, in hindsight, really cool to see. Because the second we stepped off or stepped over that line, people were calling out, I got the window high. I got the door long. I've got a door left. I've got an open area right. Copy, I got rear. And it was seamless. There was zero hesitation. In fact, we were getting pissed off that we couldn't find an entry door and we finally get to the entry door and our, I'm going to call him the tactical lumberjack because he looked like a lumberjack.
1: He wasn't wearing a plaid shirt, was he?
0: No, but, oh my God, it would have been amazing if he was. He grabs a door handle. He looks at each of us. He goes, Hey, positive identification of a threat. Front sight take care of the threat. The door flew open and I've been in trainings and exercises before where that first person through the door, like kind of freezes just a second and they have to get pushed in. Right. Yeah.
1: We've all been there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was everybody in. I think everyone, I think each of us or at least most of us went, Oh, this sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Just looking at the landscape of it, oh. and went, "All right, well, let's start working the problem." Right, and then it it took like two minutes to get a flow, and then that flow carried the whole rest of the way. And well, was, I'm proud uh, of
1: you, by the way. I, Whatever I, that means, I appreciate that. Um, very proud of you, and, and everyone else I, that showed up there. Obviously, I.
0: It was amazing. It was zero hesitation. Even the old the old salty guys. One of the more senior guys on midnights was like on the first contact team
1: and that's where you want your experienced officers by the way yeah
0: it was it it was really humbling to see so many people from so many different agencies that got there that quickly from the time that the call came in to the time that we were in direct contact with a suspect around four minutes doesn't get much better than that like as far as like a response time
1: yeah um, it helps that your agency is right down the street and then the county yeah building's right next door i don't know yeah he probably moved with a purpose because he knew that obviously he knows the I, sheriff's I department's so. right there and he knows you guys are right down the street so yeah that's probably it, it why you had eight so fast you know what i mean yeah He's not yeah, in there lollygagging because so. he knew his ticket was already punched, and it was just a minute of time to see how much damage he can do, how quick he can do yeah. it. Yeah.
0: So, and I mean, I think we had a sheriff's deputy on, like the first contact team. I think the subsequent, like five, were all all us, all San Jose PD, and that's that's something I'm incredibly proud of. I mean, I've been be. through, I mean, it's just in my short career, I've been, I mean, I've been to homicides, I've been to officer-involved shootings, riots over last summer, and now an active shooter.
1: So you can, once... you can you just drop the mic because you've yeah, like much I've done I've, it all yeah already.
0: Um, yeah, which is insane to think about, um, right. but I can say this at every single time. That there's a a crazy situation. Everyone that wears the patch. And I can only speak to my agency. I can only speak to the patch that we wear. Everyone that wears that patch shows, out, shows up and shows out. There's zero hesitation. There's zero lollygagging. It is. We're there. We're here to do our job. We're here to keep people safe. And we're going to win. Like, it, it's... Like one of those foregone conclusions. And it's just, it's amazing to work with that group of men and women. It like, it's, it makes you want to be a better, be better for them. Yep. But yeah, as, as this kind of investigation has drawn out, there's a lot of things, a lot of red flags that could have, I don't know if they could have stopped it. But they were indicators, and I I know we talked about it on the the pre-show, of, you know, maybe if Homeland Security reaches out to Santa Clara County Sheriff and says, hey, we just stopped this dude coming back in from the Philippines. He's got a lot of terrorist literature and a lot of stuff that says that he hates this place called the VTA.
1: Right. What is that place? And maybe you should find out.
0: Yeah. Maybe send somebody to knock on his door. Because maybe just that knock on the door, like, hey, wanted to talk to you about why you were stopped by Homeland Security. Maybe that just puts the bug in his head of like, you know what? Maybe it's not worth it. Fortunately, I guess the uh, people at the VTA had just been through an active shooter training with the run, hide, fight concept. Okay. So basically that boils down to if you can run, run.
1: Right. If if you
0: can't if you can't run, hide. And if chips are down and you're face-to-face with them, fight them. Because most of the time, when through all these case studies that we've had, unfortunately, we, we have a lot to look back on in this country.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Usually when these shooters are confronted, whether it's by law enforcement, a good Samaritan, I halfway jokingly say a good guy with a gun they make one of three decisions. They punch their ticket, they give up, or they fight.
1: There's only three things they can do.
0: Those are the three options. They usually don't try to run away. They'll they'll either engage, punch their ticket, or submit. Typically, they usually submit or punch their ticket. They don't typically want to get into a fight with, with a good person, with... A, a means to defend themselves. But yeah, so in the aftermath of this, just to clarify, I wasn't one of the people stepping over bodies and come into direct contact with the guy. Yes, I was in the same building. And for me personally, I can handle seeing death. I can handle seeing horrible things because I've seen it. My brain knows how to process it. For me, the tough part is not knowing. You know, not knowing the extent of the damage. So for me, like I said, the rest of the day, Wednesday, went to a Little League practice. I think I slept for like two hours because my adrenaline didn't wear off till about one in the afternoon.
1: No, you had a huge adrenaline dump.
0: Yeah. And then Thursday, I came home, took a quick nap, and then I had a Little League game to coach. So I only slept like maybe three hours. Those two days, I hadn't actually achieved like a full rim cycle. So then Thursday night, passed out from exhaustion, right? Which let my my brain start processing stuff, putting it where, you know, whatever file it needs to go into. Friday, we had already planned on, my wife was going to go see some friends. I was going to hang out with the kids. Just have a dad day. Because it was something that I needed to. And holy crap, man. <laughs> I'm so glad. So glad I had that. There were three random moments where I started crying for absolutely no reason nothing was on TV I wasn't even doing anything just all of a sudden just just a wave of emotion kind of came over me and thankfully kids were off doing something at the time each time or I was in the bathroom uh, because I wasn't ready to have that conversation with them but the rest of the day was really nice got to hang out with them we made a um, our own cutting board kind of wax finish oh okay so my kids and the neighborhood kids all got to come into the garage and help make that. And That's then each cool. kid that helped got to take home a tin.
1: Do they know and what to do then, with it?
0: Yeah, I wrote down instructions. I, well, I gave it to the parents. Okay. Go, hey, all so right. your kid helped with this. Okay. This is what they were asking permission to help make. Cool.
1: That had to so be a cool. good de
0: Yeah, that was nice. And then, what was that, Friday. So Friday night, last night, because we were recording this on a Saturday, I think I slept a total of four hours. Could not get my brain to shut down. There were aspects of the event that I was replaying, trying to see could I do something different. And this is one of the things that I mentioned on the, pre, the pre-show. In my head, my logical side, I know not, I couldn't have done anything different. Nothing I could have done would have saved one extra life. The irrational emotional part of me, Asks the question, what could I have done more? What more could I have done to save even just one life? So there's that competing idea. So you run through, I mean, and I'm sure you've done it with critical incidents you've been in. You run through different scenarios It's like, well, maybe I could have done this, or maybe I could have done that. And it's getting your brain, both both parts of your brain to kind of come to the realization together that you did everything you could. You did your job. You did it well. And I have to keep reminding myself, there were 40 other people in that building that we got out on the other side of the door where he punched his ticket there were nine additional people our guys saved nine people that death toll would have doubled had they not confronted him so i keep trying still trying to get my brain to kind of go okay that's you did good the training worked and that's actually something i'm going to do tonight is the training sergeant that came up with the, with the protocol that our county uses was one of my FTO sergeants. He's a good dude, tactical jack, former SWAT guy. So I think someone called him tactical Jesus. (laughs) But I want to make sure that he knows that the training worked, the way it was presented by his team worked, and it saved lives. Because that could have been a hell of a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse just from a civilian death standpoint. It could have been a lot worse... I'm Uh, just looking at it from a tactical standpoint. We, if he had, if he had a window from where he was, right. My team could have easily been wiped out. Sure. Just because there were too many windows to cover. So yeah, I didn't sleep much last night today. I I was pretty well occupied throughout the day. My wife and I are getting ready to go on a a vacation for our 10 year anniversary. So that's going to be very welcomed after this. So, so we were getting some, uh, some clothes for the trip because it's going to be very beachy (laughs) and uh
1: good did you buy a sand bucket and a shovel i
0: did excellent i even got one of the little sifters yeah yeah good little seashells yeah so that was that was nice as kind of a distraction there were a couple times i've noticed because we were sitting in traffic on the way back and i already don't handle traffic well (laughs) (laughs) that used to be me not anymore uh that was the benefit to working midnights is I get to just look at all the people in traffic and go, hey 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 right. hey Yeah. As I drive by. Well, I was getting really angry at just you know, people not just driving.
1: I'm sure that's and a sh- byproduct of
0: Yeah, and yeah. and I I had when I was talking to my kids about it, um, I'm very careful with what I share with them about my job. But I thought it was important that they know the why behind some of the things that they were gonna see in me over the next probably, I'm estimating a week. Because I saw it on on Friday where things that typically don't bother me, bothered me. Things that typically bothered me, really bothered me. And they could see that I was, you know, emotional throughout the day. So we kind of laid out for them, you know, what happened, a really bad thing happened, you know, Daddy had to go in a really dangerous situation And it's totally normal for people to react to it while we kind of figure out what happened. So they, and they've been, I mean, my kids are, you know, eight, six, and 18 months. So they kind of get it, they kind of don't. We gave my son, the oldest, a little bit more details just because we thought it was important for him to know, well, And this was my wife's uh, thinking. She wanted to know just kind of what what kind of person his dad is. Because he doesn't see... Inside of every person that agrees to be a cop, there is a warrior side and a guardian side. I show my kids my guardian side. I don't typically show them the warrior side because typically what comes with that warrior side is violence. Yeah. And I don't... I don't want to be the guy that scares his kids, right? Because this job is, I mean, this job takes so much from all of us and our families anyways that I don't see the need to take any more than it already does from the innocence of a kid. But having conversations with my wife about the society we live in today, that warrior mentality, The person who's going to stand up when, like in 300, Spartan mentality when the Persians are at the gates, who's going to go? That herd is getting thinner and thinner by the day. And it is my responsibility as a male in this society, a part of what I would consider the warrior class, To raise the next generation of warrior. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be all. You know knock down drag out. All the time. I think it's also important to have that guardian side. You have to have compassion. The best warrior is able to be compassionate. In my opinion. So I thought it was time. To start showing him. Some of that side of me. Just so that he can. Kind of start to understand who his dad is. And what what I face each day and the things that, you know, shape how I am the way I am. So
1: last episode we mentioned when we go to work. It could that, be goodbye. That could be it. And then that you faced that Wednesday. Yeah. I so, mean,
0: and it's I think that's something that hasn't really sunk in too much yet of that. I mean, just saying it out loud was really for the first time just now of, yeah, he was in an elevated position. If he had a window with a clear line of sight to the eastern side of the building, we're done. We're immediately in contact. And I mean, I know enough, you know, from a tactical sense of running through this kind of crap for 10 years
1: well, in a w- bad way. He was up on the third floor, right, where they found him? <laughs>
0: So the building only has two, Okay. but there was three flights of stairs to get there. So in the chaos that was going on, as you're going upstairs, you're trying to count out, okay, first floor, second floor. Somebody just miscounted.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, but and he also had just pistols with him, right?
0: Yeah, he had sidearms. Okay, just and, two, but a two number pistols of magazines. and like
1: 17 I magazines. Think, or
0: Yeah, I think three... Three okay. sidearms and something like seventeen magazines, okay. and then in his house he had like hundred round drum magazines. I mean, it was it was amazing it was to see some of the stuff he had. Good that
1: he didn't bring that. Did he have any long guns at the house?
0: I don't think so. Okay, not that I not that I've heard that would a be your of.
1: only tactical advantage. Even if he had a window, was he didn't have a long gun?
0: Yeah, and we had you know several I mean? long guns with us. Right. Yeah. So, so luckily, and yeah, so it was. I, I am incredibly proud. Even our um, our former chief, who recently retired, he actually took the uh, chief's job over in uh, Dallas. He's the new uh, police chief of Dallas PD. Uh, reached out to us to say how you know how proud he was of every single one of us. And uh, I'm going to toot our horn. I don't care if this kind of blows the lid on who I work for. If they want to discipline me, I will gladly take it because the San Jose Police Department deserves recognition for being one of, if not the best law enforcement organizations in the whole damn country. Amen. What, what these men and women are willing to do, and I'm humbled to be able to include myself with them, is nothing short of amazing. And the men and women that were wearing badges and guns were not the only heroes that day. There was one one guy, and I'm not going to mispronounce his name. He spent his final moments. This man had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. He spent his last moments not running, not hiding. He spent them on the phone with other coworkers and other buildings telling them to get to safety, to get out, to hide. So that they, and they all, every single person he was able to make contact with got out. And got out safely. That man saved lives. And that is incredible and amazing to me. So that man, that 36-year-old man, civilian, just was there. He's a a light rail train operator, just a a train conductor. Just a guy that went to work that day. He is my hero of the week, along with Officer Hoops, Officer Orozco, Officer Walsh. Officer Russell, Officer Justo, Officer Gutierrez, Officer Contreras, Sergeant Harold, and Officer Wallace. And who else? There's more people that I know like personally by name in there. Um, Officer Calderon. Those are all my heroes in Badass of the Week. I know you already had a couple picked out. But that was— They can be it next week. I
1: wrote that before this happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so— Yeah.
0: Those guys, and yeah, Sergeant Harold of uh, California Highway Patrol. Those are all my heroes and badasses of the week.
1: That's a lot of plaques I have to make. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm thinking. And they should be, for fuck's sake. Excuse me, I'm dropping the F-bomb guy, I don't care. Every one of you, that every one of you, law enforcement, EMS, fire, and all the civilians, all of you together should be recognized for the work that was done, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's uh, another thing, another one that uh, I will never forget, for good and bad reasons.
1: Every day we think, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to do this rapid deployment and I'm never going to use it because that's not the world we live in, unfortunately, especially there was a international harvester facility not far from my work that had a shooting a mass shooting had to be maybe 15 to 18 years now and uh we didn't go it was 3 towns south of me but it can happen anywhere churches schools yeah. businesses and we have we're surrounded by high schools and schools near me and yeah. factories like you and everything else. We have been asked to come to businesses to walk employees out when they get fired because that's the world we live in now. And they don't want to tell these people without having law enforcement there because God knows yeah, what they're going to do at that moment. And then, then they have to worry about them coming back. But no one just – gets the help that they need. I'm not going to say no one because that's not true. That is an all-inclusive statement that doesn't apply. There are a lot of people that aren't diagnosed properly that have these issues and have access to weapons because they don't have a criminal history and they haven't been diagnosed properly, so they have access to stuff that they shouldn't have.
0: Yeah. One of the things that this country does... This country does a lot of things great. We really do. And we don't give ourselves enough credit. One thing that we do an absolutely horrible, miserable, unacceptable job of is treating mental health. If we properly treated mental health and got people the help that they needed, got them diagnosed correctly. I, I know nobody likes the idea of a, of a mental institution, but damn it, it's necessary because a lot of these people, all, all it takes is just talk to a homeless person, have them walk you through their story. It is some sort of mental diagnosis that they don't like taking the meds because of how it makes them feel. They then stop taking the meds, then they start self medicating with alcohol and narcotics, typically meth. Well, that how makes the you? mental well, yeah. Yeah. It makes it exacerbates their condition and it just starts this cycle because we don't view drug offenses as anything worth really enforcing
1: so well, we can loose
0: on the street well not here i, I mean you and i and, and and yeah well i mean nationwide we don't really do a great job of enforcing it by actually providing some sort of penalty to using a drug or using a substance that has been declared illegal it frustrates the ever living out of me because it's not, it, it's not a hard thing to solve. And it, it irritates me when I have in my state, a governor who likes to show his really tall self up. Cause this guy, like, I didn't realize it until I went to a funeral. He was at, this dude's like almost seven feet tall. Like he's giant. And starts spouting off things of like, well, what the hell's the problem with the United States? You wonder what the problem is? People like you don't do anything to treat mental health. You're too concerned with trying to pass gun laws because it's a sexy thing to do. And it'll get you from the governor's mansion into the White House if you're able to do it. How about you treat the problem? Taking guns off the street, it's its this weird thing. If only If only drugs were illegal, people would stop using drugs. You know what else we should make illegal? Murder. Oh, wait. Maybe mass murder. Maybe we should outlaw that. Like, that should probably be a bad thing, right? Like, it should be against the law for somebody to show up to their workplace and execute nine people. We just... Instead of taking the guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens. And look, I'm not going to be one of those 2A people of, like, you know, everybody should have a gun. No, if you don't want a gun, you shouldn't have a gun. If you want a gun... You should have to train with it instead of just going down to the piggly wiggly saying, hey, I'd like a Glock. And they go, sure, here. There needs to be some sort of training that goes with it. That's just common sense. Because, yes, a gun is a tool. This is a tool that is very capable of taking a life very easily, especially a long gun round. 80% of long gun gunshot wounds are non-survivable.
1: And it's the opposite for handguns.
0: Yeah, handguns, 80% are survivable. We have got to do a better, a better job of actually addressing the issue. The issue is not gun control. The issue is what drove the person to do what they did.
1: And let's face it, it's not a normal-minded person that thinks this. It's someone no. with some type of deficiency that hasn't been addressed or even has been addressed yet— they didn't get the help that they need, and this was something that they. they yeah,
0: did. and every time this this stuff comes up, and the first thing that people start talking about is legislation. We need to pass legislation. You can't legislate hate. You can't. No. That that's what I walked into. That was hate. That was evil. And from Those what two I read, things are not leg- you're not able to legislate that stuff.
1: Right. He told certain people, "I'm not here to hurt you." Yeah,
0: I'm not going to shoot you.
1: Go. I mean, yeah. he had specific people that he had picked out for whatever reason. But, you know, when his wife, ex-wife, says, oh, yeah, 15 years ago, he was saying he was going to go to work and kill everybody. Well, did she say anything to anybody? Nope. But
0: here, here's my thing, because I've seen a couple of stories with her. There's a part of me that thinks that she is out for her 15 minutes right now.
1: I'm sure.
0: Because... The initial interview that I saw with her was like, I can't believe he did this. Like, yeah, he had his problems like anybody else. And it was like, and then now her coming out and saying like, oh yeah, well, he said he was going to kill people like, you know, back in, you know, way back when it's, it's one of those, you kind of turn your head like when my dog's confused or if maybe like I mentioned earlier, if Homeland Security had said something, maybe there was something else that could have
1: been done. Well, it's it, the totality it, of those circumstances, yeah. though, right? Her say something. If I think I'm married to a lunatic, one, no, she's not. She's no longer married to said lunatic, yeah. of course. So that was one thing. But two, you got to direct that person towards help. Yeah, when, but when a lot of people don't want them? it, right? You also have to want to receive the help, and he obviously. Knew there. He couldn't have thought at any time, Brandon, that this was logical thinking. No. So yeah. at some point he has to realize, I'm having these thoughts. I should probably get some help. And maybe he That's did. What, we don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I don't know enough about him. Right. But um, nor but do I, I want I, to. Yeah. Uh, but I I do know from what I've seen learned throughout this is that he didn't wake up the morning of May 26th and decide he was going to take the lives of nine people. He made that decision a long time ago. Right. And he took his time and he planned and he plotted. And he may have finally made up his mind on May 26th, but the wheels started turning long before that.
1: Did... Anybody he shoot survive?
0: Nope, he was nine for nine. He fired thirty nine shots, hit nine people, okay. nine fatalities. So it's a it's a rough thing. It's weird. Like San Jose is an interesting city because I've been in big cities. I've I like just visiting and knowing people that lived in them, and the cities always felt real big, right? Like I'm, I'm sure you felt that way in Chicago when you're there. It's like that's a big city. It just oh, feels Chicago big. is huge, right? So San Jose is huge. If you look at it geographically, it has a very small town feel. And I grew up in a small town. It's the same feeling, of where you know, depending on the neighborhood, you know, everybody. So yes, this is this happened in the tenth largest city in the country, but it feels like it happened in Mayberry. So there's a i'm one of the city councilmen, like his lifelong friend was in the building yeah I read that and uh was one of the victims. One of our officers was on the phone with a friend as they took their last breath inside that building yeah it's it's sad, and uh a lot of the the trainees were a little bit upset <laughs> because they all got told to go upstairs, write your reports. And, and i i you actually can't have, a have couple, them yeah you can't and, and i had to explain it to one guy there's a couple of them that are in my row of lockers and he was kind of asking me about it like hey did you go yeah like what was it like like he just he wanted to know and you could tell that he was not upset that he didn't go or something or couldn't go or something like that he just he wanted to kind of understand so i told him i like, look, dude, I, your fto just came off a midnight shift your FTO is responsible for you and your safety. His job is to make sure you don't do something that's going to get you killed, all right, while teaching you how to be a cop. That situation, he can't have his attention divided. He has to be solely focused on the job at hand and if he's dividing his attention, he's already exhausted, and now he's got to divide his attention to make sure that you're not going to, you know, wander off and get yourself killed. It, it's, and, not and it. it's not even a question. It's not even a
1: question. I spoke with one of my best friends at work. He's a sergeant on the day shift. He's He runs one of the SWAT teams. He and I go on all our hiking journeys together. I I brought it up with him and the fact that, you know, you guys just told your trainees – go do this while we go do this. And he goes, you can't even question that move. You can't bring those guys with you. For people that don't know, you know, you can't bring a rookie into that situation because they haven't been trained like you and you have to worry about them. I don't know how your laws are in California in regards to being, we are, as FTOs, I'm an FTO since 2003. We're responsible for our trainees not only in the moment, right? And everything but afterwards. We, we're responsible for seven years. Yeah. For our trainees. If anything happens down the road and they become Sir, fuck a lot. And they're gonna look at someone to sue. Up to seven years as an FTO, I'm responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Not just his life. I mean, that's the biggest thing was his life. And your yeah. life, you can't be dragging a rookie with you when you're going into that. So the best thing you could do is just send them home or send go them up, up to the bookstore. squad room. <laughs> right. Go
0: upstairs, write your report.
1: Right. Hopefully I'll go, see you later.
0: Go to your CPT, pay attention. Yeah. Because we're using it. Right. Yeah. And, and and most of the ones that I've talked to, they get it. Like they're, obviously they want to help. That's why you get into this, into this line of work. And for us, I mean, I hate using the analogy of that was our Super Bowl, but you spend all this time in training for that event, like that's the big one.
1: Hoping when we never like, get talk, it.
0: yeah, like, but when the time comes, you want to go because you want to show, or you want to put that training to use, and you know, I mean, I'm glad I've paid attention and all of the trainings I've had because
1: you mean you weren't like the, the veteran that I was shooting yeah no, no, who didn't load his backup, <laughs> even who threw his weapon at me that you're not that guy in, in training because no. it's only training. You mean you actually trained seriously train like you play because one yeah. day, holy shit, you may it's actually have to do this. Yeah. It's not if it's going to happen. It's when it's when it's nowadays when. it's when,
0: yeah. And that was the response when they posed the question to the class of, like, so why are we doing this? Because it's a matter of time. I didn't realize it was
1: going to be in four days or five days. Four days. days. Yeah. So. so, yeah. So it's going to be. Um,
0: well, yeah, I'd it's like to be an interesting thing. To kind of dissect once we get even more information, because as time goes right. on, we're going to learn more about this guy. Oh yeah, and I think it's important for us to look at, you know, what what we did, you know, the response, what worked, what didn't work, you know, what more can we learn about this person so that we know what to look for in the future. What could we have done, you know, in hindsight? Because we have to, we always have to do an an after action
1: kind right. of thing of like, yeah, okay, can I was ask you how your debriefing went?
0: Uh, so I actually haven't been to one yet. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess one was scheduled for a group today. I don't know if they're going to break it up into groups or what. Um, I know that there's a group that's going to do a, they're calling it like a support group because we had, we had an active shooter not too long ago in, uh, at the Gilroy garlic festival, which is in the same County. So we've had countywide, we've had, you know, some incidents where they stick with people Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if we go to the one tomorrow, but I'll probably, if I don't go to the one tomorrow, I'll probably go to the one next Sunday because they're going to run two of them and uh, see if they're going to do like a full blown debrief. But even talking to my wife, I do think I kind of want to sit with somebody, like someone who actually knows about this stuff because there's some things I'd like to understand about my reaction and the way I felt in the middle of it because I think if I understand that better, I can use that. Because it's weird, I will like I, I mentioned earlier. I was insanely calm. I mean, I was up in a shooting platform for more or less an hour and forty-five minutes. I did not shake at all. Afterwards, I held my hand out because I was I, the thought I clicked in my hands like you know I was pretty steady that whole time. And I held my hand out, and then afterwards, I was I mean able I was, to
1: shake up an orange juice glass. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. I mean, if somebody wanted a, 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 martini? a shaken martini, all yeah. you did is you just put it in my hand. And it would have been ready in a second. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of want to understand that a little bit, whether it's just a physiological thing or or a mental thing, or just the fact that I've done all sorts of tactical training for ten years. Uh, I'd like to kind of understand it a little bit better, because like I mentioned earlier with the the train stuff, I'm a curious, I'm a curious fella. So yeah. So that was my week. <laughs>
1: Shit. Let's not have another one I, of those. I
0: really hope this coming week is a lot, lot quieter. <laughs> and I'm not going
1: to complain about the shitty weekend I'm going to have next week because nothing's oh, going to compare. So,
0: uh, and
1: well, we think, never know.
0: But yeah. And I think too much we get into this comparison, like not just among cops, but I mean, like as Americans, man, we. We're always about like, well, I know this thing happened, but you know this. It's like you know, I mean, and things hit people differently. Like I one of my best friends that I work with, he in FTO went to um, a dead baby call. I can't imagine responding to that. I can't imagine dealing with. It. I can't imagine. I can tell you, you, don't want to. I yeah. I I will. Literally pay people an entire week's pay to not go to that.
1: I hope uh, you never have to.
0: I should. I do too. I. But at the same time, like people may look at that and go, "Yeah, man, you went to an active shooter. Like that's way. Real. I don't want to complain about that. No. All this stuff is traumatic.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why police officers have the highest divorce rate, alcoholism rate, and suicide rate. It's because the shit we see.
0: Yeah, I we. We what, we probably see more trauma in a year than most people see in their lifetime.
1: Dude, I, I'm doing the, <laughs> the blinders because that's what people have. Yeah. One day, I wish I had those. One day I hope to get them back. I can put on my blinders, right? I, I think it's once you see behind the curtain, uh, you can't unsee I, it. Sh, don't tell me that now. <laughs> I, I want something You might as well just stick to. around. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit. You know, so. when I'm on my ranch... And I turn on the news and see that the cow got out down the street and caused <laughs> havoc. That's the news I want to see. You know, little Billy Joe Jim Bob's, you know, growing got watermelons a for a y. contest. No, I don't want to even see that. <laughs> I just want to see the good, wholehearted, in the heart of America news that doesn't involve weapons and mass shootings. And we had someone out here, not out here, Someone, I just read an article yesterday, uh, some guy stabbed a girl 114 times. Jeez. She had 56 defense wounds on her. I mean, this shit every day. And yeah, I try not to watch the news anymore because we actually live in the news cycle. Yeah,
0: I stopped watching it uh, last summer.
1: Yeah, weather and sports, During- that's all I'm watching on the news. And then I, you know, I my Google feed on my phone... Uh, shows me the interesting topics that I'm interested in, and it's usually comic book, Marvel stuff, you know, cool stuff, my sports teams. But then, you know, holy shit, some kid stabbed some girl 117 times. What yeah. the fuck does that pop up on my feed?
0: But Just so you know. They want to make sure that you're aware.
1: And out of curiosity, I'm wondering where the left is about banning knives.
0: <laughs> Just wait. Don't, don't, don't get me started. Because... <laughs>
1: You know, over in London or the U.K. They have a lot of knife attacks. That's all they have because there are not many people that have guns. So just for the people that want to take guns away, you're going to get bashed in the brain with a bat or stabbed. Take your pick. Baseball teams are going to be only people in America that can have a baseball bat if people start getting brained with bats. You won't be able to get a bat. Or you have to wait 72 hours to get a bat.
0: Yeah, and that goes back to my you can't legislate hate no you have to look at the cause what drove the person to do it and fix and we that start try look, to and fix we start that. looking at treating that yes because that's what that, that's the why if you can take away the tool they'll find a new tool
1: there's tools everywhere shit a phone book yeah. I'll kill somebody with a, a phone hammer book. a hammer
0: yes ropes uh, there's a you take an aluminum can right you can like look at prisons Take a friggin' toothbrush and they'll stab somebody to death. Can't legislate the hate. You have to find the why. Right. And then you can address the issue. Otherwise otherwise what the fuck are we doing?
1: Exactly. So as we're at 134. Nah. So I know it doesn't we don't have a time (laughs) limit today, but I don't want you to miss I don't know if you want to. I'd like you to. You in your stories, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, you know, you shared the nine names of the victims. Yeah. So that I'd like you to do. And then, of course, we have the fallen officers because we still have to do fallen officers. But I'd like yeah, you to see. do that, the civilians.
0: Okay. So if I – a lot of these names are um, from the Sikh community, and I don't mean any disrespect for when I absolutely do mispronounce the name.
1: No, I don't think any disrespect would be taken.
0: Okay. I just want to make that abundantly clear. Yeah. So these are the nine innocent human beings who lost their life. Paul De La Cruz Mejia. He was 42. Adrian Baeza. 29. Jose Jesus Hernandez III, thirty five Timothy Michael Romo, forty nine Michael Joseph Rudometkin, forty Abdul Vahab Alaj Mandan, sixty three Lars Kepler Lane 63, Alex Fritsch 49, and my hero, Tepe Jeep Singh 36, I wish we could have gotten there sooner.
1: I'm sorry that you had to go through that Brandon and God bless you for going I'm just thank you very much for actually jumping in your squad car and responding to that even though you're off the clock so thanks Thank you.
0: What we do is real life. And it is literally life and death every single day.
1: Yeah. um, I don't need anything to remind me of that, but this does make you take stack of your family and your friends, the people around you that you care about.
0: Yeah. And um, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to everybody um, that reached out, checked on me, asked me how I was. And if I needed anything. Um, that meant way more than, uh, than you will ever know.
1: I'd also like to thank those people, Brandon, that reached out to you uh, and say thank you. So, all right. Uh, now, unfortunately, we have 10 names of officers to read this past week, and I will do that right now. So the first one on Sunday, May 16th, would be Deputy Sheriff James Herrera of the Denver Sheriff's Department in Colorado. He passed from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty while assigned to the downtown detention center. Tuesday, May 18th, Superintendent Scott D. Slip Mahoney of the Delaware County Bureau of Park Police and Fire Safety in Pennsylvania. He also died from complications as the result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Served 29 years. Wednesday, May 19th, Police Officer Chris Oberheim of the Champaign, Illinois, Police Department. He was shot and killed responding to a domestic disturbance call. He served 20 years. He was 44 years old. Corporal Thomas Wade Frazier of the Artesia Police Department in New Mexico. End of watch, May 21st, 2021. Corporal Thomas Frazier was killed in an automobile crash on U.S. Highway 285 near milepost 77. Friday, May 21st, police officer Jeremy Brinton of the Nogales Police Department in Arizona. They don't have anything else about his passing. Saturday, May 22nd, Police Officer Scott Triplett of the Memphis Police Department. They don't have anything else on his passing. Sunday, May 23rd, Detective Stephen Arnold of the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office in Louisiana. He succumbed to gunshot wounds sustained on January 26th, 2016 while serving a search warrant conservation officer Sarah Grell of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Enforcement Division in Minnesota on May 24th she was killed in a vehicle crash May 26th Deputy Sheriff Daniel Duke Trujillo of the Denver Sheriff's Department in Colorado He died from complications from contracting COVID-19. And Trooper John Harris of the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, Mississippi Highway Patrol on May 28th. Trooper John Harris was struck and killed by a tractor trailer on State Highway 16. Those would be the 10 fallen officers this past week. So it's been one hell of a week there, Brandon. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, uh, it's been a little rough.
1: Been a little rough. Well, luckily, you're with me. And you will be here with me again next week, God willing.
0: Yep. That's the plan, at least.
1: Uh, you better be, or you're going to have someone else to answer to. <laughs> and next week, we're going to have a guest. Who's going to be our guest? We're going to be getting all goofy or talking some woodworking with Brian Luke. Not Luke Bryan. Some people get him confused. He's not the country star. He's the curator woodworker of Dogwood Customs.
0: Now maybe we'll have to have him sing just to make sure it's not actually Luke Bryan.
1: I don't know if we want him to sing, but I'll, I'm sure he'll do it.
0: He's, he's an active duty... I think he's an active duty sailor with the uh, United States Navy.
1: Right. I'm the idiot that didn't serve. Mm,
0: Some would say that you're the smart one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish I would have served actually. So yeah, uh, Brian will be with us. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. It will be a much more lighter episode.
0: Yeah. We're going to laugh a lot more next week than, uh, than this week.
1: Definitely. And I'm looking forward to it. And after that, like I said, earlier we have a few more guests lined up in the following weeks so i'm continuing to effort more guests and if anybody out there that is a woodworker and a police officer or just a woodworker and you listen to the show and you'd like to maybe make an appearance let us know and brandon if someone wants to ask us a question what should they do
0: well they could send a they could slide into our dms on instagram either Yours at the M.M. Midnight Maker. I have to say it slow. I'll screw it up. They can go to mine at Full House Woodworking. Or they can even go to the show's Instagram page that we will eventually see. Or if they want to blow us away, if they want to go the extra mile, if you're a fan of the good old-fashioned electronic mail, you can send your questions to handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com.
1: Amen. And if you want to, we can steal a page from Mike Coffey's podcast and you can actually voice record your question and then email it in, and I'll put you on the show. Hey, how about that? I bet you we get one. Let's hope. Because I'm going to start making them up if we don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to start just paying friends to do it.
1: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I'll pay with ice cream cones from McDonald's. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Because that's... that's It's like what, like 89 cents? 89 cents? I don't know. I don't know. I usually go to Foster's Freeze for my ice cream cones if they're going to be fast food.
1: We don't have that kind of ice cream here, so I'll just take your word for it. Um, Thanks a lot, Brandon. Thanks very much, man. I really appreciate you the job you've done this week and I appreciate you after spending time with your family sharing your story with us this week it's very important for us and it's very important for you
0: I appreciate you
1: thank you very much buddy and uh stay safe this week is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye because I know you love saying goodbye and I love hearing your goodbyes (laughs)
0: If you drink, don't drive. Do the watermelon crawl. And pay attention in training, damn it.
1: That's right. It will save your life. Until next time, stay safe on the street and stay safe in the shop. Peace.